Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. If we're going to fly, we fly like eagles. Honest now, why? If we're going to fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're going to stand, we stand as giants. If we're going to walk, we walk as lions. Well, good morning again. It is the 14th of July, 2022. I'm Carmen LaBurge. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on Faith Radio. The text line is open as always. You can text me during the show, 877-933-2484. Appreciate if you'd also visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. We're giving away bundles of books this summer. And so each and every week, we're giving away a different themed bundle. And if you go there, you can sign up to enter to win. You can also share with us your faith radio story. We would love to hear it. You know, why do you listen? What difference does it make? Why are you here? I mean, I love that you're here, but you know, why are you here? Okay. So sometimes I read something and I say to myself, have these people like literally never read the Bible? I mean, I I mean, do they have zero familiarity with the Bible? Because especially if you're, if your article is posted at religiousnews.com and you are writing about people who are Jewish and they so clearly have never read the Old Testament, then I got to hold up a flag and wave it and say, well, I, I, there might have been an expletive in there. So I had to like, what is going on here? OK, so I read this article um, on religionnews.org, and the article is um, how in a post-Row America quote-unquote, abortion doulas are leaning in to ritual, spiritual ritual practices. Mm-hmm. Post, in a post-abortion, in a po- excuse me, in a post-Roe America, it's not post-abortion, by the way. Abortion still rampant and real. Abortion doulas, which did you even know that what were once midwives because I'm going to this is going to be a conversation about the Hebrew midwives in Exodus chapter one. If you're wondering where I'm going here, uh, where in the word am I today? I'm in Exodus chapter one and I am hot and bothered that these people are quoted extensively as being Jewish and as being what would have in the Old Testament been understood as midwives. And instead, they've become abortion doulas just just for a moment consider that oh and they want to you know they want it to be a spiritual practice like they want to bring spiritual language and um the blessing of the water into which the aborted fetus is going to be delivered i mean i I, it 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 is drowning babies in the river if ever there was a story that just screamed we don't know what the Bible says, but we are still going to call ourselves biblical people. Um, so these death doulas are um, creating spiritual practices, including meditation, prayer, um, tarot readings. Um, I, I, yeah, and and this um, sacralizing of what is happening in the birthing pool which is actually a direct reference. I mean, they don't seem to know it. 
but it's a direct reference to what happens in Exodus chapter one, when the king says, uh, you know, kill all the babies uh, as as they are born. Um, and these good women, these good, faithful women who fear the Lord in Exodus chapter one, uh, they don't do that. Um, they they deliver these babies. They fear God. They don't do as the king of Egypt had commanded them. They let the they let the babies live. And so what is the um, you know, what is the king's solution? Well, he says, throw all the male babies into the river and drown them. All right. This is why we need crisis pregnancy centers, if you were wondering, um, because there are death doulas out there uh, serving in the uh, abortion industry now. Um, so get yourself into Exodus chapter one today if you're looking for a good place to read. And if you want to check out the article that I'm talking about, uh, about abortion doulas, it is strangely, strangely posted at religionnews.com. Next up, we got Peter Kapsner with some other strange headlines of the day. I'm first going to ask him, is outhorsing your email his idea? Yes, outhorsing. We're going to horse around a little bit with Peter Kapsner. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Sometimes I read a headline and I say to myself, was Peter Kapsner recently in Iceland? Peter, <laughs> welcome again to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, thanks, Carmen. I can uh, deny that I was in Iceland, but I am going to maybe throw my wife Hallie under the bus because she was there as recently as maybe three <gasps> weeks ago. And so and I and that's I'm just not a lie. She was eating fresh fish uh, caught out of the Icelandic waters about three weeks ago. So this headline about horses could she might be holding out on me. I'm going to have to have a cup of coffee with her later this morning. While 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 she was in Iceland, is there any chance that she outhorsed her email? I, I think she clearly did. I think the, the emails I was getting from her, not only that, she might have put her iPhone on the ground and they would have pawed at that yet, too. I, I'm wondering if she actually communicated with me while she was there. <laughs> All right. Um, seriously, if you want a little joy this morning, check out visiticeland.com um, or just Google out horse, out horse your email um, and you'll see what we're talking about. They've made a giant keyboard. It looks it looks all for the world like a keyboard on my computer. It's a giant keyboard. You can choose which of these horses is going to walk across the keyboard to answer your emails while you are visiting Iceland and don't want to answer your own emails. So, um, first of all, I cannot pronounce these horses' names, but <laughs> I would choose the one who has his, his sticking his tongue out. I think clearly, right? That's you know, yeah. If you get a little sassiness in one of those white Icelandic horses, you, you know you probably have <laughs> your, your best scribe for emails moving forward. <laughs> All right. So on to uh, much more serious matters. <clears throat> people, um, people are playing around with all kinds of spiritual um, things these days. And there is apparently a rise in the use um, of crystals in a number of... Um, I mean, people, including Christians, using crystals, um, having um, energy stone bracelets, um, imagining that, you know, they're going to sit in a place and energy is going to rise out of the earth and somehow change their day, uh, stuffing uh, crystals under the seats of their car 
on and on and on. Um, this grew out of my awareness of this grew out of um, an article about the New York City mayor, Eric Adams, who um, is apparently relying on crystals in um, uh, in his leadership there. Yeah, it's uh, that's an interesting story. I first started taking note of this idea of the intersection of, of physical materials and metals and stones and properties with uh, supposed then non-physical healing properties. I took note of it as a golfer when a number of golfers maybe a decade ago were starting to wear these copper bracelets and mm-hmm. they were making the claim that the, the copper bracelets obviously were doing some kind of um, healing properties as they were having to swing the club day in and day out. And and so this rise in the interest in crystals, I think, is is really interesting. I'm actually going to try to do some uh, some crack on-site reporting uh, as part of the crack research team on Mornings with Carmen this next week and go to some of the stores that are selling crystals and, and just do what I used to do when I would do, uh, conduct research, and that was just ask people questions. What what are they seeing? Why are they using them? What are the claims associated with them? Because I think, Carmen, you and I both uh, share the view that there is an intense rise in spiritual things. And so to just ignore it and poo-poo it is maybe not the best approach, but to, but to understand what people are seeking and what is it that they're wanting and what are the claims? Because I think prior to... Um, defaulting to a more uh, scientific worldview, which tends to just reduce everything down to that which can be measured in, in test tubes and, and discounts that there's a spiritual realm. Prior to that, people really did understand their lives through um, any number of, of spiritual kinds of engagements. And so I've been doing some initial reading about how ancient Judaism understood uh, the the different um, rocks and stones that were part of the breast pa- breastplate of the high priest, and and some Jewish scholars would suggest there were some sort of intangible properties. I don't think that's reliable per se, but I I want to investigate the claims and and um, and then tie those claims to what seems to be the longing in the human soul that is making these claims so attractive to them. And and I'm going to try to do that in the next week because it really is on the rise. Interest in spiritual things. Um, doesn't always find its home then in Christianity or in Judaism or in Buddhism or some of the the more common religious expressions. It's it's going to a different kind of place that is a bit more almost like the Druids and the Naiads and the Dyads um, and, and the sort of Celtic traditions in the world. So it's a it's certainly with young people it's very intriguing. So let let's investigate those claims. Uh, Exodus twenty eight and Revelation twenty one are a couple of places you're going to want to look and read if you want to have a conversation about the appearance of stones um, and gemstones in the Bible. That might lead into an opportunity to talk with other people about the stones they're using and what they're for and how they're relying on them. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner in just a moment. Um, We're going to talk about cults. They are very real, um, and they bear witness to um, the very real need that we have for acceptance and love and belonging. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. 
And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner uh, is here. Um, so, Peter, this article at theconversation.com about the um, attraction to cults in particular and the co- coercive control of cults um, over those who uh, align themselves with them really bears witness to the deep, the deep issue, the deep need we have for love, acceptance and belonging. Yeah, it really does, doesn't it? And and especially in um, the context in which we don't naturally and, and natively move in communities anymore because we're so empowered by technology and mobility to sort of live whatever life we want to live. It's created subsequently this rise in isolation and, and depression and loneliness. And, and we've talked about that quite a bit. But just like the crystal conversation we just had, there's in which there's this hunger for spirituality and then you move towards things that are, are inappropriate to satiate or fill that need that you have inside, the the longing to belong is uh, is similar. And so, the question is: is where do you go to have that sense of belonging? And uh, cults um, are a place in which that absolutely happens for people. For all of the negativity and the and the dis, uh, destructive behavior and destructive realities that they create, I think one of the psychological explanations for the reason why people will even stay in them despite that is because the power to belong somehow is is a more powerful reality than uh, what is going on that's destructive. I We had a number of young people over last night that I've known for quite a few years, and they're trying to figure out what their church life looks like moving forward um, as they uh, are not terribly interested in going to institutional churches on Sundays as much anymore, um, and they want more belonging than what happens in an hour-long service, and so they're trying to kind of carve out their way. But there are, many of them are in university right now, some of them at secular institutions. And I had a conversation with one, one young man just saying, I, the party life that is university, and, and it's actually probably really similar to why people go to cults is why people go to parties at university, even if they are followers of Jesus. And we talked a lot about how weird it is to go to a party uh, and maybe you're part of a sports club or an academic club or a fraternity or something like that. And you go, and and as a follower of Jesus, the, this power to belong will cause you to um, to enter into behaviors that you otherwise shouldn't. And you almost have this weird disassociated experience where you're there, you're experiencing the acceptance of everybody around you, and and that acceptance is so powerful. But at the same time, while that acceptance is happening, you're feeling more and more hollowed out and disconnected from yourself because you know sort of internally this isn't what you should be doing. So you get home from that party kind of exhausted where you were affirmed and embraced and accepted by everyone around you because of the behaviors that you were doing, while at the same time, all it did was just exacerbate or heighten your loneliness because you you felt like a fraud. And boy, oh boy, Carmen, when we talked about that, it really was in the nitty gritty of life of how this young man, and I think a lot of young people, and I think a lot of us in general are experiencing this. And so the need for the church to move from what you and I have talked about a little bit in the past, from this attractional model that's trying to drive everybody to a one-hour event on a Sunday morning, to much more of a parish kind of mindset, a community sort of mindset, a, a home churchy kind of mindset, a life together kind of mindset. Um, last comment on on that part, just the importance of that. He, This young man 
could have gone uh, actually to a, a church um, situation on, on Wednesday night with a friend of his. And he actually just said, you know what? I, that's not where I need to be right now. I, I need to be with some friends. So he hung out with eight to 10 of his Christian friends at our house last night. And, and it really, I think some of that loneliness was alleviated. And we need to really build that kind of way of doing our life together for people that otherwise will find themselves in cults. Uh, they'll find themselves in unreliable pathways of spirituality like crystals. We're, we're just not um, in, in maybe the right wineskin for how we do our life together, given what's going on. The attractional model worked great in the 80s and 90s in a lot of different ways, but we are long past that time for what the needs are of what people are looking for. So, um, Peter, when I read this, uh, when I read this article, one of the things that I was turned on to was this Let's Talk About Sex, S-E-C-T-S podcast. Um, it's apparently wildly popular, uh, not just here in the United States, but globally. And every single month they have this conversation. Um, they have a conversation, real people involved in real cults today. And they've been they got enough of them. That there, you know, there's one every month since 2017. Like, I, I'll just confess to you, I did not know so many people today are actively engaged in cults here in the United States and around the world. Yeah, I didn't either. I, I really, I didn't. And and so that blend where oftentimes, even if there's not um, a named spirituality going on in a cult, there tends to be some sort of spiritual atmosphere uh, and then so that power of the spiritual atmosphere, whether it's through a charismatic mm -hmm. leader, whether it's through a series of spiritual practices combined with now you're with other people that are experiencing the same thing. I mean, there's there's power on being part of a theater company. There's power in being mm. part of a baseball team. There's there's just power in that affinity based community. And you combine it with spirituality. Yowzers. There's I mean, there's reason why people are doing this. Mm hmm. Okay, um, one more story. Um, hopefully we have time to unpack the uh, the mystery of the rare orchid thought to have been extinct but rediscovered after 120 years. First of all, tell people the story of the orchid in Vermont. Well, so I, I saw a bit of this story. I mean, you might help me uh, be able to fill in some of the gaps, but um, it, it was a, it's a species that had long passed from sort of public scientific consciousness, right? Like we didn't even know that this existed until really recently. Okay, I'll tell the story of the small world pagonia. Yeah, the small right. world pagonia is a federally threatened species of orchid, but it has now been rediscovered in Vermont 120 years after the plant was last spotted in the state. Amazing. So here's the thing. It's not that the plant was ever extinct. It's just that fewer people are in Vermont looking for these things. This is what I suspect. So anyway, the plant was last documented in Vermont in 1902. Well, so doesn't that just suggest to you that Oh, it does say they searched extensively for the small world pagonia, um, but had come up empty handed for a number of years. All right. All right. So the small world pagonia is one of the rarest orchids in the world. It's frankly not much to look at based on the picture, um, but it's it's a little green plant. So why are we talking about it? Well, I, I thought that it was worthy of conversation because sometimes we as people think something is lost and it's really not lost. It's just that we've been distracted by other things. And it made me think about the word of God in the days of Josiah, right? Then, you know, I mean, they literally like found it in a closet, the word right. of the Lord. 
<laughs> well, that I think that's the exact right parallel is it, it is a little stunning to me that the book of the law had been um, underneath rubble for all of these years, that they had forgotten about their way of life. And I think one comment we can make about that, Carmen, is we live in uh, so often in, in what we could call or people call a recency bias, meaning that whatever mm. is the most recent thing on the scene, we are biased to believe is more reliable or worthy of our attention. And that just doesn't stand up to any kind of scrutiny at all. I mean, most often, actually, what's more recent is getting less and less reliable, it seems. And so I really encourage um, all of us as part of the Faith Radio family and, and, and people within their own families to be um, people who, who devour or at least go into um, things that were written in the 1800s, 1700s, that the 10 hundreds, the, the 200s, the church fathers, the early church fathers and mothers, all of these people, when they write about faith, uh, it, 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 it somehow has a depth and a substance um, to it that I think has been lost increasingly so. And I, just even read Bonhoeffer for a while. I mean, it's a more familiar name, but that's what now, 60, 70 years ago. And the way he writes about kingdom life sounds substantively different than how it's often written about today. And so go back through the ancients, find uh, how people have thought about faith. And, and I think there will be a, a greater rest available for, for our souls when then we see also that we're part of a much bigger story that's been going on a long time. Speaking of that, which has been going on a long time and the connection of Ethiopians to the book of the Psalms, I am thinking about Philip running with the chariot of the Ethiopian um, who was a eunuch in the book of Acts and its connection to a story today about a family um, from Ethiopia who fled the country for Israel three decades ago. Um, they left everything behind, and in, um, in, including this treasured centuries-old book of the Psalms that is mm. written in a Semitic language used by Jewish clergy in Ethiopia literally in the days uh, of the first century. And they um, tracked this book that's a treasure to their family, um, and they now they have ransomed it. They have gone back to Ethiopia and they ransomed this book um, back and have restored it, um, you know, right to its rightful place in the life of their family. I just love that the word of God uh, is so treasured by some yes. people. And I thought lifting up the story of that Ethiopian family today um, was worthy of our time. All right. That's Dr. Peter Kapsner. Thank you as always so much. You are precious yep, to talk us. Talk to you soon, Carmen. You guys are great. All right. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Next up, Breakpoint. It's like the bright sunrise Waiting on the other side On the darkest night Don't ever lose hope Hold on All right, thank you for all your texts this morning. I will catch up with each and every one of you. Um, I haven't had time to to type in response to what you've been saying while we've been talking. Next up, we've got Charles Martin um, he's my favorite novelist. I don't mind telling you that uh, I sit down and I read his books cover to cover as soon as they arrive. So I'm thrilled that he's joining us this morning. We're going to talk about The Record Keeper. It is the latest and the third in the Murphy Shepherd series. Charles Martin up next. And trust me when I tell you, this is really a discipleship book. It's masquerading as a novel, but this is really a discipleship book. You're going to love it. We'll be right back. We make a miracle walker, promise keeper, light. 
This is the fangirl version of Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen this morning because Charles Martin is bar none my favorite novelist. So, Charles, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just grateful that you would have me. I love being here. All right. So um, the record keeper, the third and final installment, you say, of a Murphy Shepard novel, although I will say that at the end I am um, I am sniffing out. I believe that I uh, have whiffs of um, of some kind of future series, because why would Tank Witherspoon and all these additional new team members show up? And why would there be a cliffhanger ending if there wasn't something more? So I will leave that there. And because I really think, Charles, that you have written a discipleship book that's masquerading as a novel, I will start with this question. What do you know about sheep? Um, they are entirely and completely lost without their shepherd. They are mm-hmm. some of the dumbest animals on the face of planet Earth. And Christy and I just returned from Scotland, and the entire landscape is covered with sheep. They're beautiful. But it's a it's a really just a marvelous picture of us as people and you know, we need uh, really we need a shepherd. I, I mean, I, I kept I, we drove around Scotland. And I kept thinking Psalm twenty three. He leads me, he guides me. His rod and his staff comfort me. So, I don't know. I, I I can't tell you. I know a whole lot about sheep, but we're not the smartest. You know, hammer in the toolbox, and we definitely need a shepherd. Yeah, that's um, that sings loudly from the pages um, of the record keeper, as it does from um, from every book in this series. Uh, it, you know, n- nowhere is the question answered that simply. What do you know about sheep? They need a shepherd. Um, but it's not lost on me in reading it, and uh, it's just—I mean, seriously—you've written a discipleship book that uh, that says it's a novel. It's a great story. So let me ask this, Charles: When I say the word home. Where does your heart go, and is there a sound associated with that for you? I've said for a long time, and I even think I put this in the front of one of my books, that Christy has long since been the home for my heart. Mm-hmm. So without being overly dramatic, I mean, where she and the kids are is home. Um, is there a sound associated with that? Um mm-hmm. Boy, I'm thinking great... about Bones and his church bells. Yeah, I, I, I wondered if that's where you were going. Um, I don't know. For me, there's probably yes, there's probably a sound, but it has more to do with the quiet in the morning. I, I love getting up. I'm a, I'm an early before daylight person, and I love the quiet before daylight. So I don't know. I, I know that's that's sort of the anti sound, but sorry that that's kind of where I go. That's that's really good. And that, um, you know, for those of you that are listening and you um, are wanting a little taste of the record keeper, there is something in there about the quiet of the morning, um, the the moment before any bird sings or um, or anything else happens. And if you're listening right now and you're saying to yourself, I want a copy of The Record Keeper, yes, we do have some copies to give away. So you can text the word book to 877 933 Eight four. Enter the drawing for the latest 
in Charles Martin's Murphy Shepherd series. It is the third in the series. If you've never read The Waterkeeper, that's where you should start. Um, it it got me totally hooked and um, and have loved uh, each book in this series as well. The Record Keeper absolutely does not disappoint if you're a Charles Martin fan. Um, and if you're looking for a book that, seriously, in my view, is a great conversation starter, you can do you could read this book with someone who's not a Christian and open up tons of conversations um, about the gospel. It is it is absolutely rich um, and fertile for conversations about, uh, well, it's, I, I know, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, so I'll stop there. <laughs> Charles, I get, a, I get a sense that the gospel of John maybe is your favorite. The themes of light and dark, the shepherd and the sheep, sacrificial love, like, yeah. Yeah, it's tough to say favorite, but I mean, how can you not love it? I do. Let, let, let me let me back up and say one thing. The the thing that helped birth this book was uh, it, it comes a little bit out of Matthew 18, which is the parable of the shepherd, but it just struck me one day when I was reading that and I don't know. I don't know why it hit me. There are just times when like scripture seems to highlight itself. I I don't know, the Lord touches you and you see something whatever, but I just was reading that, and it, it, you know, the sheep wanders off, gets itself, himself, herself, lost, whatever, and the shepherd leaves the safety, comfort, protection, you know, ease of the ninety-nine, and wanders off to find the one sheep who's gotten itself lost for what. And then when he finds it, he throws it on his shoulders and comes back, and he has a party. And I, I know, like I've seen that, I've read it, and then it struck me that he does that again and again and again, and he never like chides the sheep. And I just like there is, like we talk about unmerited grace, but it just struck me there's there is more grace in Jesus than sin in us, and I just couldn't wrap my head around that. So somewhere in this thinkings, this this place in me. I just this story bubbled up. This guy appeared in behind my eyelids and his name's Murphy Shepherd. And I thought, huh. And I, you know, I was halfway in the book and I thought this guy might be bigger than one story. So that's kind of how it turned into three. So there's a word in here and I was uh, I will resist trying to pronounce it and then I don't know how to tell you what I'm uh what I'm seeking to lift up without trying to say it. Apolumi Apolumi, Apolumi. Okay. Well, can, can you tell us tell us about that? Well, it's that which is lost, and mm-hmm. I I don't know that I'm, you know, I don't know that I'm pronouncing it. I'm not a Greek scholar, but it's it's a it's the word for that which is lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um I I love uh, I love your use of lost and found, light and dark. The redemption stories in this book are. Um, are precious. Eddie, Clay, Bones, Casey Girl, Karen, Shep, Rose. I love the redemption story of Rose. Um, remind us why telling stories and telling redemption stories is so important. Hmm. Well, that may, like, sometimes people ask me questions like that, and they're a little bit above my pay grade, but let me just point to Jesus. Jesus is surrounded by a whole bunch of people. There are kids running around. I think Jesus was a jungle gym for kids, and they're, the Pharisees, and they're all trying to trap him and asking him a bunch of, you know, highfalutin questions. And 
And he grabs this kid and puts him, you know, on his and on his lap. And he says, "Hey, unless you become like one of these, you won't see the kingdom. You won't enter the kingdom of heaven." And I think he's trying to get at childlike faith. And one of the things that children do is that we just believe the stories of our father. Mm. And so mm. I, there's something in us that is hardwired to make sense of our world via story. God put it in us. It's in our DNA. And while we can have logical reasoning conversations with people, I don't think that the truth of them sinks as deeply as a story, which is why Jesus, I think, taught in parables. Yeah. 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 And why, yeah. And why you do as well. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. We're talking with Charles Martin. He is uh, the author of The Record Keeper. It's a part of the Murphy Shepherd's Shepherd series of novels by Charles Martin. You can find Charles and these books at charlesmartinbooks.com. You can also text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. More with Charles Martin in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show we do every morning on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. I don't want you to miss any of it. So check out the free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. One of the things I would like for you to consider is becoming a Faith Radio ambassador. We talk about walking our faith out into the world that God so loves and doing so in ways that honor Jesus, well, that's because we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. You can become a Faith Radio ambassador today and help us get the word out to others about this and other programs on the Faith Radio Network. Uh, we will supply everything that you need to share with others, and you can sign up to be a Faith Radio ambassador at MyFaithRadio.com. Well, I will walk by faith, even when I cannot see. I need another book for my summer reading list because I have already read The Record Keeper. It is a Murphy Shepherd novel. It's the third in the series by Charles Martin. You can find Charles and the books at charlesmartinbooks.com. Um, Charles, there's, uh, there's so much in this particular story about the importance of knowing our origin, um, knowing our name, being named. Um, and the extraordinary grace of God that we are orphaned no more and our names are, you know, written in, in a record. Um, talk with us about the importance of, of an origin story or knowing our origin story or our name. Like, pull any of those threads you want. I've written this both in uh, my nonfiction, What If It's True, and they turn the world upside down. And I think when I wrote it, I said something like, ownership precedes identity. I don't I don't believe that you can know who you are until you understand and know whose you are. And I, 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 I can I can show you that in Scripture. But I've also met so many, well, not so many, but I've met a good number of people who were trafficked and they talked about this and they talked about how they didn't know who they are, i.e. a child of God, until they knew that they had been given the right to become his children. And so many of them that I have talked with that were snatched out of whatever life or they were lured in somehow, they have no pictures, no history, no 
they, they have no prom picture. They have no family picture. No, you know, no Chris, nothing. They, they're just, it's like they are no one until somebody grabs a hold of them and loves on them and, and brings them into a family. I think Pure Hope Foundation in Texas does this in a phenomenal way, but there's, there's something to, I don't, I don't believe you can know who you are until you know whose you are. It's just my, it's just my take on scripture. I think it's true. I think it's true as well. Tell us about um, the Pure Hope Foundation in Texas. Pure Hope Foundation is a, just a remarkable place. It's a, it's a, like on a ranch in Texas, and they, they rescue primarily trafficked women, and they have phenomenal stories of, of ladies who just, for whatever reason, were kidnapped, were fell in love with the wrong guy, got hooked on, whatever. And, and they, these girls, these ladies find them and contact them, and so Pure Hope rescues them out of horrible i mean if i I know i've been if you read some of the reviews people talk about how they don't like some of the graphic nature of what i've written about and the truth is if i write what i know you won't read my book because it'll make you throw up so i've i've tried to write as best i can the truth of trafficking while sort of writing in shadows or impressions or something i'm not trying to sugarcoat it but I also can't tell you, you know, the truth of it. So and that's one of the things I learned from the folks at, at Pure Hope. They they do a beautiful job of not um, not trying to capitalize on the ladies' stories, you know, and tell you all the horror that happened to them. They're trying to show you the beautiful things that that the beautiful people they are becoming. And it's just, you know, Catherine Lee runs it. She's one of my favorite people. I just I'm a big believer in Pure Hope. You guys can find the Pure Hope Foundation at purehopefoundation.com. Charles, um, uh, when, um, when Murphy Shepard sort of like asks himself, you know, how will I tell them about him? He's referring to Bones. You know, how will I tell them about him? Um, I am, in my mind, hearing echoes of I love to tell the story and um, facing the, you know, the ongoing challenge every single day of both the calling and the challenge that we have as Christians to not only love to tell the story, but tell people about Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. You do that very effectively um, um, through, you know, through both nonfiction and, and fiction work. Um, I think that just being encouraged to find a storyline, a redemptive storyline, and tell it is part of what I feel like you encourage people to do. Oh, well, thank you. Um, but let me tell you a little bit where my heart is lately. We, I, I, I think I'm watching the news less and less just because there's just, Scripture says when in the last days lawlessness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. And I think we're just watching that play out. I just think we're watching mm. people's love grow cold and, and I don't want to be one. And I'm, I'm fighting that. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to press in and spend time with the Lord and say, hey, my love well is kind of like not full right now. I need some help. And one of the things he's reminded me of is just that real simple scripture when he said, when I am lifted up, I will draw. And it's just and he says, I will draw all men to myself. And it takes the pressure off of me feeling like I have to do it if I'll just lift him up, if I'll just paint a picture, if I'll just, 
you know, Job said, I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now I've seen you with my eye. And it wasn't until Job had a right revelation of the Lord that all of his problems faded away. It didn't change his circumstances, but it gave him a, it stirred his hope and his affection and his love. And so I don't, if there's, I've prayed this a long time about my books. I've, I've prayed, Lord, let my stories stand as road signs to Jerusalem. I, just let them, just let them point people, point hearts toward you. Let them stir their affections. Let them just, just give them a right revelation of you. Paul prayed that in his letter to, to the Ephesians. He says, I pray that the Lord might give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And so I'm trying to walk up a line, and I don't know that I do it well, but I'm trying to walk a line between writing a really great, compelling story that does not just thump you over the head, but that just tugs on places in our hearts where we're still tender and we still love and we still laugh and we still forgive. And I believe that those places are there, but as the the days roll by, there's calluses mount up. So I'm I don't know. It's a long answer to a short question, but I'm trying to, I I pray, I'm trying to write stories that stir our affections. And at the end of the day, like Psalm 45 says, that just lift him up. Your, um, your goal has been achieved. There's no question. There's just no question that in this series and, and then in particular in this book, the record keeper, um, that has been achieved. This book is a signpost. This book is, um, it's such a great read. It's disturbing in all of the right ways. It definitely stirs the affection toward the Lord. It has, um, you have, you've put all these little places in here where as a Christian, I see something and I could imagine if I were reading this with a non-Christian, I could help them see something. And that is a gift. That's a gift in the culture today to have something that I can use that so authentically points to the truth. Um, and and so it's a gift. It's a gift to those of us who are trying to be conversational apologists in the culture today. Um, this book is real. It's accessible. It's a wonderful read. And I do note on page nine the conversation about the hope bucket. And so I get that. Uh, It is the currency of mankind. Thank you for um, helping to fill our hope bucket today. And I'm going to be praying that God fills yours. Mm, Thank you so much. It's just grateful to be with you. Great to to be back. It's such a blessing. That's Charles Martin. You can find him and his books at charlesmartinbooks.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. All right, you can be honest with me. Did I gush too much? Like, I'm such a fan. I'm so, I'm such a Charles Martin fan. Was I, like, overly fangirl? Did I gush too much? You can tell me the truth. Um, if you still want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have to give away, um, we've got copies of The Record Keeper. You can enter the drawing by texting the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. You can also tell me on the text line, yeah, if I gushed too much. Um as we um, move on into this world that God so loves, 
Let's be uh, not only refreshing ourselves by getting into the Word of God and letting Him refill our hope tank. Let's be people who are prepared to fill the hope tank of others. How are you going to go seek the one today? You might have to walk away from the 99, whatever the 99 concerns are that you have, and you might have to get out there and go find the one. It is It is really all about... Um, those who are lost being found and those who are found turning to find others. That's who we are as God's people in the world today. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.